You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you uh, are, are kind of a, a, a guest of ours, or glad you're here. Uh, for those who were here last week or, or maybe who are streaming online, um, just a reminder, this Wednesday we start virtual school for this neighborhood. For those who don't know, Chatham County is all virtual this year. Uh, the bulk of our neighborhood uh, doesn't have the capacity to do that very well, um, whether it's technology or just, just people overseeing uh, multiple kids in houses, multiple grades, single parents, working families. And so we are, are going to step in and fill that gap for them starting Wednesday. And that's going to require over 100 volunteers from this body. And so if you are capable of just giving two hours a week, I mean, that would make a huge difference. It can be Monday through Friday. It can be 7 a.m. till 3 you can go online, sign in. We have to do a background check just legally, but then you can sign up for your spot Tuesdays from 9 to 11 or whatever. Man, you don't have to teach. You just have to, to be present and uh, be with some students and help them log on and get in on classes. It's very challenging what these, these kids are being challenged to do, and, uh, and so we're going to have a great opportunity to love our neighborhood well. Uh, if you could do more than two hours, that'd be awesome. We got the Savannah State football team, like 40 players are helping. Uh, so they're going to come in and do some work. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great opportunity to be the church. It's really our, really, in this season, it's the biggest thing we're doing this fall. And so uh, if you have the capacity to do that, and we got, if you're like, I've got to work at nine, you can come from seven to nine. We, need, we have a shift that's literally the early morning shift, right? It's the Captain Crunch shift, right? Give them breakfast, get them in their seats, right? So come on. If that's the shift you want, just sign up online. Love to have you. All right? We are going to begin a uh, new series today. Um, usually, we kind of do a fall launch and woo, you know, you know. This is about as big a service as we have, so this is like woo, you know, new service. But glad you guys have chosen to come back and worship. Uh, it's exciting to see y'all. And for those online, we we miss y'all. I look forward to you guys being able to come back soon. I am a uh, I'm a closet Pawn Stars fan. I'll admit it. Right, I don't know if you have a History Channel, if you've seen Pawn Stars. It's basically the redneck version of Antique Roadshow. Okay, that's what it is. Some of you are like, oh, I like the Antique Roadshow. I like Pawn Stars, right? It's a pawn shop in Vegas, and the formula is very, it's the same. You know, someone comes in, they think they have something super valuable, it may be. They come in, they're like, what you got here? Well, I got, you know, and they drop it in there, and the guy's like, how much you want for it? I want $20,000. Well, and it's always, well, I don't really know much about this, so I gotta call in the expert, right? So can you hang here for a minute? Yeah. And I don't, I always want to get behind the scenes. How long is it a minute? Is it like an hour? Is it literally like they already set this thing up? They knew the whole thing, which I'm sure it is, but whatever. They call the expert and the experts usually, he's, you know, expert in, in instruments or signatures or sports memorabilia or train. I mean, they got experts on everything, books, and they bring in the expert, and the expert's like, wow, I haven't seen one of those in like 20 years. And so they uh, kind of go through, and they explain it. And then there's that moment. Okay, well, what's it worth? Well, it's worth, boom. And then, you know, then negotiations start, right? Oh, well, you asked for 20. Now, is it, you know, they, that's kind of the formula. And the other day, I was watching, and um, a lady brought in some Beatles memorabilia, right? Beatles, for you young folks, are the greatest rock and roll band in the history of the world. So they existed in the 60s and 70s. Some of you are saying yes, some of you are saying no. You're wrong, those of you saying no. Beatles are the greatest rock and roll band ever. So she brings in these Beatles memorabilia, and it's got, you know, a picture of this and a, a ticket here, and the main piece is this, uh, it's a bass guitar signed by Paul McCartney himself. And she's like, yeah, I paid big money for this, and I want to get, I want to sell it now, and, and, and he, she's like, I want $25,000. So they didn't bring in just one expert, they brought in two. 
They brought in a music instrument expert and they brought in a signature expert. And the signature guy, he has this like iPad with like this zoom lens and he goes over every, he's like, you see that little thing there? That's, you know, they, that's what they do. And so there's the big reveal at the end. Like, okay, what do you think it's worth? And she, he's like, it's a fake. I know, all you guys feeling the tension. Oh, it's a fake. And they explain why signatures, but Paul never did this. And, I, and here's one of the things, like I could have told you that because Paul McCartney played bass left-handed. Everybody knows that. And that bass is a right-handed bass, okay? And he played Hoffner's. He didn't play that off-brand, whatever. So I've been watching Pawn Star way too much. But the point is, they had to bring in the expert to see what was real versus not, because it's so close. You need the person who, this is what they do. This, they just know it, and they can spot a fraud. There's a lot of frauds out there. There's a lot of counterfeits out there when we talk about uh, Christianity today. A lot of false messages, a lot of maybe false messengers And the question is this, how can we know the real deal? How do we know it's really Christian? How do I know if I am Christian, right? How do I know if this guy is telling the truth or this guy is not? That's what we're gonna really look at and dive deep into over these next few months as we study the book of 1 John, 1 John. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there or your app or whatever it is where you can follow along on the screen. First John is a little letter. It's kind of towards the back of your Bible. If you're like, I don't know where that is, just turn to the back and start flipping slowly back towards the front. If you go too fast, you're gonna miss it because it's only like two pages, five little chapters. You'll see a second John and a third John, which are even faster. There's like the shortest books in the Bible. First John. This is a book that was written uh, to really help us see what is true and what is not. Because John is an expert in the original. He's an expert in the original. And, and here's, here's my goal for today. Two goals. Anytime we study a new book, I wanna give you kind of the background, the history, what's going on behind the scenes, and then we're gonna just crack a few verses, the first four verses. But the background is important. Here's why. Because when you know what's going on, you know, who wrote it, where it is, what's going on, it helped open it up to you, right? How many of us have ever been playing the I'm texting three people at once game? And inevitably... You send that one text, you hit the send, you don't even think, because your, your, your fingers are so fast. You hit send, you're like, oh, I sent that to the wrong person. And the other person sends back, what does that even mean? And you're like, oh, sorry, that was for my daughter. I wanted her to pick up some bluebell on the way home from Publix, blah, 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 blah. And once you explain it, you're like, oh, I get that. The, the background makes it clear. The context makes it clear. When you understand the context of a book, who's writing, where are they writing to, what's going on, what's on the other side, when you understand those things, it comes alive. Because this is a letter. This is not a, John didn't just sit down one day, I'm gonna write a book of the Bible. What should I call it? First John would be awesome. This is a real letter to real people going real life in real cities with real struggles. And so when you can understand what those are, it'll help us grab the book, all right? So we're gonna do that. We've entitled this series, That You May Know, right? That you may know, and here's why. John uses the word know 34 times in this letter. No, 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 that you may know. He uses those phrases that you may know, may you understand. He uses this idea, because he's trying to get them to see, I want you to know the true, the real, rather than the counterfeit, right? This, I want you to know, 
That's, it's like six times a chapter at least. No, 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 this is real. This is true. No, this is how you live. No, this, this, that. And there's a purpose verse that he gives kind of the main idea. What's the big idea? John is big on purpose verses. He gives one for his gospel. The end of his gospel of John, he writes this. This is why I wrote the book. Oh, I turn this thing on before it works. There you go. This is why he writes the book. He says, I, I wrote this book. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. He says, I wrote this entire gospel so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the reason why he writes the gospel. The reason he writes first John is not so that they would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, because these people already do. He says, I write these things to you who already believe in the name of the Son of God. For what? That you may know that you have right now eternal life. Because all these people are trying to get you to doubt God. They're trying to get you to doubt the truth. They're trying to say, well, there's deeper information. There's more. You don't really need Jesus. All these false things. He said, no, I want you to be able to stand and say, this is real. This is a fraud. This is not signed by Paul. It's signed by Joe, right? I want you to be at a spot. I want you to be able to know it, all right? So that's, that's where we're going. Let me give you the setting, what's going on here uh, in this book, um, so that you can kind of grasp where we're at and, and what's going on uh, in, the, in the letter. So it's probably written around 80 to 90 AD, right? 80 to 90 AD, that's where most scholars put it. Um, he's probably writing it from the area around Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Polycarp says that he wrote it from there. So um, that's, that's kind of the idea. He's, he was pastoring churches in Ephesus. The apostle Paul said before he left Ephesus, 40 years earlier, he warned them. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will, will rise men speaking twisted things, draw you away. That's exactly what has happened. What has gone on in the church is some guys grew up, and they were teaching Sunday schools, and they were leading community groups. They grew up in this church, and they started teaching some wacky things, and they split the church. They literally pulled away. They, it was first Ephesus Church, they went down the road and started First Baptist of Ephesus Church. And they started teaching new doctrines. And there's three big ideas. You put all the pieces together from these chapters. You put the, there's three things that they're doing that are fraudulent, that are fake. There's a doctrinal error when it comes to Jesus. They're denying the humanity of Jesus, not the deity, which is typical. They deny that Jesus actually came. They deny that he was a man. They have all these weird, funky views that, that, that kind of turns into to Gnosticism down the road. And so he's going to, they're, they're saying things like, you can get to the, you don't need Jesus, you got God. You got this deeper knowledge, you got all these things. So he's gonna deal with that. There's an ethical issue. They're saying things like, sin doesn't matter. Live the way you want. No big deal. Your life means nothing. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you do, how you live. So he's gonna deal with that. And then there's a relational error. They, they, they're gonna say, we love people. We're loving, but really they're blowing up churches and they're, just, and they're pulling people away from the truth. He's gonna say, no, you actually hate. You have the spirit of antichrist, right? And so those are the three big things going on. And this letter is, in essence, damage control to the churches to say, you guys have the real deal. I'm the expert on this, you have the real deal, don't be pulled away. You keep going, and it's, he's not gonna write anything new. He's not gonna give them a bunch of new information. He's just gonna remind them of what they've heard. And so what we're gonna do every week, you know, we've called it, that you may know, uh, every week there's gonna be a topic, that you may know, fill in the blank, right? 
what he talks about. And they're real practical, that you may know love, that you may know forgiveness, that you may know answered prayer, that you may know hope, that you may know truth, that you may know all these things. And he's just gonna work his way through, pointing back to this is the reality, this is the Jesus I told you about, and this is, this is a fraud, this is a fake. All right, so that's where we are going. This week, we're gonna talk that you may know, our first that you may know, is that you may know John. That you may know John, the guy who wrote the book. And there's kind of three things about John I want you to take away. Here, again, here's why. Uh, this is by way of introduction, so I want, this is kind of critical to where we're going. If you understand the author and who he is and why he writes the way he does, it's gonna make the book pop more. It's gonna make it, you're gonna understand it a little bit more. And I want you to grasp his personality because it comes through on every page. So once you know about the man, John, and, and kind of what he is. And so for, three things. First thing about John, I want us just to know the man. Who is he? Who's John? Right? You got a lot of Johns in the Bible. John the Baptist, John the Apostle, a guy named John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, Peter's daddy, his name's John. There's a John on the Jerusalem Council. So who is John the man, right? And how do we know he wrote this book? Because there's no titles. There's no, the book doesn't say, this is from John. This is one, one of the unusual things about the book. Peter says, hey, Peter, I'm an apostle. Paul says, I'm an apostle, right? Uh, this guy no, doesn't identify himself. So how do we know who wrote it? Well, here's what we know. Whoever wrote the gospel of John wrote the letters of John. Why do we know that? Because the, the grammar and the structure and the vocab are almost identical. They're very, very similar. And this is very clear if you're kind of a Greek scholar because the Greek is very simple, right? Uh, it's not simplistic, but it's simple Greek. It's, it's lower level Greek. When you get into Hebrews and Peter's writings and some of Paul, it's very detailed and very kind of technical Greek. John is when you first start studying Greek in seminary, you study John because it's very simple. It's very consistent. It's very plain. And all these letters have the same idea. So whoever wrote both, wrote John, the gospel wrote the, the letters of First John. Church history has affirmed that the John the apostle wrote these things. And even though he doesn't identify himself, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved, or the beloved disciple. That's how he refers to himself in the gospel, right? So the church fathers, church history attests to John. This is not something that's debated amongst conservative scholars. That's why the book is called First John, not First We Don't Know, right? Okay, so, so John is the author of this. Polycarp, who was one of John's disciples, lived in the, in the early second century, he, uh, he actually said, John wrote these letters from Ephesus in the late first century, right? So we have history and, and everything else that attests to the, the Apostle John. So who is the Apostle John, right? Who is this guy? He is called the evangelist. He's called the elder. He's called the beloved disciple, uh, the son of Zebedee. Um, who is he? His daddy's name, son of Zebedee, was Zebedee. His mom's name was Salome. And if you kind of put the pieces together from the Gospels, uh, you realize that Salome had a sister. Her sister was named Mary, and he, she had a son named Jesus. John is the first cousin of Jesus. He's first cousin of Jesus, which means he grew up knowing the man. He has a brother named James. Now, there's, this is where names get confusing, right? Because James, there's a book of James. That James is a different James. That's James, the half-brother of Jesus, James. James and John are brothers. They are cousins of Jesus, 
but they're not the same. So I know that can get a little bit tricky, but just know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are not the author of the book of James. Understand that. Um, so what you have is a guy who grew up with Jesus, and then he became one of his apostles. Who better to be the expert called in when you're having questions about is this real or not? Here's a guy who knew him his whole life. And let me give you a couple snapshots of this guy's life because he's a real interesting guy. I really like this guy. First time you see him is the Gospel of Mark. And he's a fisherman. Dad's a fisherman. Granddad's a fisherman. They're a family of fishermen, right? Uh, not just like, like, like the fish. They actually, this is what they do. Right? And so Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, his brother, to be followers of him. He goes a little further. He sees James and John, the son of Zebedee, and they're in the boat, and they're mending their nets, which means they're getting ready to go back out for the night of work. This is like, you know, getting ready for work. And he immediately, he calls them, guys, come on. And immediately they left. They leave their dad. They leave his hired servants, and they follow. Y'all, this is big. <laughs> It's huge. This is family business. This is getting passed down. This is how I provide for my family. These are our boats. We have investments. We have time. We have to do this. And they say, Dad, we have to go. And they leave everything. And what you're gonna see as if you read through the Gospels and as we see this letter is John is a passionate, impulsive, passionate, just intense guy, right? That's how he's wired. He just is like, when he's in, he's all in. It's all or nothing. That's, that's the way he is. That's the way he writes. You're gonna see how he's like, he's gonna use hyperbolic language and he's gonna repeat himself. He's just gonna be like, ah, right, get this. And he, he's, he just said that two verses earlier. I know, but I want you to get it. And he kind of just repeat. By the end of the book, you're gonna be like, you said that like five times. He's like, no, I actually said it eight times. You missed the other three. That's how he is. He's just, he's gonna use these images, he's grand, you get it. He's gonna use dark and light and hate and love and antichrist and Jesus and just very dramatic, very passionate guy. He is the all-in guy. This is why in Mark 3, when they're listing out the disciples, it, it mentions that Jesus had a nickname for James and his brother. You know what it was? The Sons of Thunder. It's, it sounds like a WWF name, isn't it? Sons of Thunder. I mean, how awesome is it that Jesus gives a nickname and it's, you're the Thunder Boys. Isn't that great? And, and, and here's, the, here's the beauty. It just shows that personality is not right and wrong. God makes all personalities. God wired James and John to be passionate. That's good. And if, you're, if you're, you're not an intense guy, you're not super all-in guy, that's fine too. That's how God wired you. You're quieter, you're more interested. It's not right or wrong. Personality is not right or wrong. God makes them all. What God does is he shapes personality and he uses them and he redirects them, right? John is all-in. He's the guy that when you're playing church picnic sports, he spikes the ball at the grandmother, and he's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's John. Because he realizes if we're gonna play volleyball at church picnic, we play to win. We don't play for fun. Winning is fun, so we play to win. That's him. At the end of the Gospel of John, it's funny, there's this little statement, and, he, and remember, John wrote John. So he makes mention, so Mary Magdalene says, Jesus' body is gone, He's, the tomb is empty. And it says, James and Peter, I mean, John and Peter run to the tomb. And he just drops this little note. But the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. <laughs> and it's just like, he, he gets there first. It's like, hey, Peter, I beat you. He's like, it wasn't a race. Oh, it was a race. And I won, 
right? That's, that's him, right? And so understand, it'll help you see, he's, he's not being mean, but he is passionate as he writes. But see, here's what y'all have to know about personality. Your greatest strength, it can also be your greatest weakness, right? His passion is what gets him in trouble. So there's an episode in Luke 9 Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He has to go south. He, he's gonna go through Samaria, which is not normal because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. It was super racial tensions, right? Religious, racial, all these things. And so most, most Jewish people will go around, but Jesus is gonna go through. So he tells some of his disciples, go get me a hotel, Motel 6, go get some food. So he sends some folks ahead and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations, but the people did not receive him. They said, we don't want nothing to do with Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. We don't care about him. And so in step, the sons of thunder. And when, this, when James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to, to burn their brains out? Do you want us to call fire from heaven? Because Elijah did it. You want us to do that? As if they could do that? What are they, Thor? Like, oh, you know. But he's, he turns and rebukes him. He's like, you guys need to chill. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. So you see that passion, it it needs to be redirected, and it's going to get redirected. He spends three years in the seminary of Jesus. It's going to get redirected. We see it again in Mark 10. So the sons of Zebedee come up, and I just picture them kind of sheepishly coming up to Jesus, and he's like, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, what y'all want? And I say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. That's a bold statement to the son of God. Can we have a blank check, Jesus? We're not gonna tell you what we want until after you agree to tell us you're gonna give us what we want. He says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? They said, let us, in your kingdom, grant to us to sit one on your right and one on your left in glory. I know you're a son of God. I know you're important and you can be in the middle, but can we be on the outs? Can we be right there? I think we're kind of right next to you. She said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you bear the cup that I'm gonna bear? They said, yeah, and they said, you will bear it, but... But his point was, it's interesting is in that text, Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but he does redirect them. See, ambition is not wrong. But Jesus is gonna say, hey, let me show you really, you wanna be great. Okay, let me tell you what greatness really is. And he redirects them and he says, greatness is being a servant. You wanna be great? Serve everybody. You wanna be great? Serve the kids in this neighborhood. That's the idea. That's greatness. That's his point. So he takes the personality of how he's wired him. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. He is unique in God's eyes. He's made on purpose. He's not an accident. And he takes that passion and he's gonna redirect it so that he's gonna be a faithful vessel in his hands. All that ambition, all that passion. And by the time he writes this letter, he's in his 90s. He's an old man. He's softened. He's still passionate, but he's now passionate about the right thing, Right? And that's, that's, what, that's what we want for our lives. Just a side note. Hey, the, the goal, what you should be praying for your kids, for you, is that God would take how he's wired you, extroverted, introverted, tall, short, whatever, athletic, unathletic, intelligent, PE major, whatever, and he would redirect how he's wired you so that you just would be his witness, his church, wherever he takes you. That's, that's the church. Go be the church. Take me, shape me, Lord, over years and years and years, and he has, and here's John Saying, he's gonna, he's the guy that wanted to melt their brains out now is saying, love, love, love. The Beatles, all you need is love. There it is. That's where he's gonna go. That's what God does. That's what we want. So that's John the man. That's a little background about who the guy is, where he's from. 
And you're gonna see that come across. Let me, let's jump into our text. Right? That's all my way of introduction. 25 minute intro. Don't worry, the sermon's not gonna be that long. Um, that was the longest piece. But let me just jump in and kind of jump in the intro and I'll see two more things here. Verse one. And what we're just gonna see now is we saw John the man. Now he, I'm gonna you to see John and his experience. I want you to know his experience because he's gonna highlight it. Verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is not the way you usually open a letter. Not the New Testament writers, it's usually Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus Christ. That's how it usually starts. This is John from the turnbuckle, just go. And he just jumps right in, right? He, he doesn't even identify himself. He's just all in guy. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. He's just going, right? That's the idea. And he's talking about what? The word of life. That's what he's talking about. That which was from the beginning, what we've seen, what? Concerning the word of life. What's that? That is the message, the person of Jesus, right? It just sounds like John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Very similar prologue. Remember the folks that had left that were splitting the church were denying Jesus' humanity. They were denying who he was. If you look at some of the early heresies that came out of this, they were teaching things like, well, Jesus was born and then the Christ conscious came on him at baptism, but then it left him before the crucifixion. So really the, the Messiah, the Christ spirit didn't die. On All these weird things. Just weird, weird things. And he says, no, no, no. Let me tell you about the word of life. Let me tell you about the Messiah. Let me tell you about Christ. He was from the beginning. The, the New Living Translation says, the one who existed from the beginning. The idea is he's always been. When creation started, he had eternally existed. He was before all things. In him, all things hold together. In him, all things are created. This is Colossians, right? That when there was nothing, there was him. The word of life was there. And then at one point in human history, he enters into human history the daughter, I mean, the son of, of Mary at Bethlehem. But he has always been. That which was from the beginning, the word of life was from the beginning, which we have heard. He said, I, I heard him. These very ears, I heard him teach. I heard him laugh. I heard him cough. I heard him snore. I heard him whisper. I heard him shout. I heard him pray. I heard it all. I was there, which we have seen with our eyes. I saw it. I saw him, right? I, I looked at things he had done. I saw him take a Lunchable and feed thousands. I told, saw him water ski across the water. I told, saw him call someone out of the grave. He comes out of the grave. I saw it with my eyes. And then he says, and we looked upon. It's a different word. It's the word we get our English word theater from. It's, it means to gaze intently, to stare, and then to be amazed. It's kind of like you go to a, a great show or you're, you see something, you're like, your jaw drops. He said, that's what it was. We saw things, crazy things. We could have never thought. I saw the ocean all roaring. And we think we're gonna die. He says, peace be still. So we were all like, whoa, who is this? We saw the word of life. We gazed at the word of life. We touched with our hands. Man, I was leaning up against him at the Last Supper. 
I gave him a big hug when I saw him. I touched his hands, his side. Oh, he made me fish. He handed me fish. He made me a fish. Best piece of fish I've ever eaten, by the way. He cooked breakfast for me. We touched him. Right? He, he, this is the idea. I, I've, I'm the expert. <laughs> I've, I've seen these things. I've been there. And notice the pronoun. It's we, not just I, right? We, me, Peter, Paul, all these guys. And these are different personalities with different everything. So Peter is super pragmatic, and Thomas is a doubter, and Philip is a skeptic. And Paul was in opposition and wanted to kill all the followers. He says, but we, we saw it. And just in the words of Peter, Second Peter, he says, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We saw it. What's his point? I'm the expert. I know the real. And these things are fraud. These guys that have left that are splitting your church, it's fraud. He is life, right? He's life. He's the word of life. He's the source of life. He is the ultimate demonstration. If God the Father wanted to reveal who he is, he reveals himself in Jesus. This is why he says to Philip, Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is why the writer to Hebrews says, in the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets. Now he speaks through his son. He is the word of life. And there is no other. And then he jumps into verse two. He repeats himself. Again, this is intensity, John. The life was made manifest. It was revealed. And we saw it. We see it. You just told us that. I'm telling you again. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He is the real deal. We've seen it, we've testified, we've proclaimed it. I know a fake and I know the real, and he's the real. Remember that scene from, uh, from Elf? I know it's not Christmas yet, but it, it should be. All right. Remember, so, El, uh, so uh, Buddy the Elf hears that Santa is coming to the, to, to the store. He's like, Santa's coming! Right? And then he sees Santa, and then he's like, you're not Santa. Yes, I am. No, what, what song did, did I sing for you on your birthday? Oh, happy birthday. Oh, he's like, yeah. But then he's like, no, you smell like beef and cheese. You sit on a throne of lies. He knows that it's a fake Santa. Why? Because he's an expert on Santa. He knows Santa. And that's not Santa. He can spot him even if he's got the red suit, even if he gets a question right. That's what John's saying. Look, they may use terms that are similar. They may say some things about God in this. I know the eternal life. No one knows Jesus like John. Nobody that walked the earth knows Jesus like John. He grew up as his cousin. He was in the inner circle. Jesus had 12 disciples and then he had a little small group of three. Peter, James, his brother, and John. Those three are the inner circle. They're the ones that got to go see him transfigured on the mountain. They're the ones in the Garden of Gethsemane he pulled away from the others to be with him in prayer. They're the ones that got to go see Jairus' daughter raised. He had that intimate group that it was kind of his small group. And John was one of them. John's the one at the Last Supper. He's sitting next to Jesus. Jesus says, someone's gonna betray me in this room. And everyone's like, who is it? Peter's across the table says, ask him. John says, who's it gonna be, Lord? And Jesus tells him. He tells him things that he didn't tell everyone else. At the cross, who is the only disciple there? John. So Jesus looks down and says, woman, to his mom, behold your son. 
Son, behold your mother. He's saying, John, you're taking care of my mother now. If you are about to die and you're gonna entrust your mom's care to someone, you're gonna do it to someone who's not close, who knows you? He gives his mama's care to his, his man, John. No one knows Jesus like John. This is why he went, he was willing to die for, for what he believed about the Messiah. They tried to kill him, they couldn't kill him, so they put him on an island where, where Jesus showed up and gave him the book of Revelation. He's the last disciple left. All the rest of them have been martyred. He's lived 60 years having followed Jesus. He says, I know eternal life, and eternal life is him. Eternal life is not a mantra. It's not a religious system. It's not sitting in heaven on a cloud with a harp. That's not eternal life. That would be miserable. Eternal life is a person. It is Jesus. This is what Jesus himself said in John 17. He says, this is eternal life. Well, good, you're defining it for me. That you, they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is a relationship with the living God that starts here, and then one day, whether he comes back or you go to be with him, the location changes. It's still the same, eternal life. That's why you can know you have it now. It is a relationship with the one who was from the beginning, who came, who lived the perfect life, who died as a substitute for your sin, who rose again, who said he's coming again. It is a relationship with him through faith, not going to church, giving all the right answers, intellectually agreeing. It is a relationship, right? That's what it is. And so the question this book's gonna answer is, how do I know I have that relationship? And the question you have to ask is, do I have it? Do I know the living God through Jesus Christ? This book is gonna tell you. It is. So that's his experience. That's John the man. That's John's experience. Last thing, that you will know John's heart. I want you to see John's heart in this letter, right? His heart. Verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why? He's gonna give two whys. So that you may have, two may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Two reasons, fellowship and joy. First is that we proclaim these things, why? That you may have fellowship, koinonia. To share in common is the idea. Our, we share in common a commonality with who? God the Father and God the Son. His opponents are saying, you don't need the Son, you just need, we can give you to God. He said, no, I have sharing in common, relationship. I've been adopted, I am a son and daughter of God. I have that relationship. Right, and it's with God the Father and God the Son, and we'll see in, in chapter five in the Spirit as well. He said, that's what I want for y'all, that you would share that, that commonality with us and with God. That's eternal life. And, and the reason why he's so big on that is because if, you're, if, you're, if your pursuit is your relationship with God, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, what's that gonna do for the other issues that he's talking about with them? Remember, they have ethical issues. They say sin's not a big deal, no big deal. We're loving, but we're destroying families. If you are walking with God and walking in fellowship and community with other people, you're not gonna be pursuing sin. If you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, you have fellowship with him. What is he gonna say next week? If you were sinning, rebelling, you're not walking in fellowship with him. So the, the desire to, to walk with God and, and to be close to him and intimate with him and his family is going to cause you to flee Sin, and it's gonna cause you to love others. If you're loving God, you will love others. You can't, because he's gonna say, you cannot say, I love God and hate your brother. You just can't. 
Because he said, you're a liar then. He's gonna use this language. He said, you hate your, your Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, whatever brother. You have the same gospel, but they're just a little bit different. You hate them, then don't say you love God because you don't. It's strong language, but that's where he's going. And his desire is, no, no, let's, let's, have, let's be one. Let's, let's have fellowship. And look, there is, this is interesting coming from a guy who wanted to melt out a bunch of Samaritan's brains, first of all. But, it's a great change. But this, this is a challenging time in the church. I've never seen, and I've only been you know, doing this 13, 14 years, but I've never seen such antagonism on the people of God towards one another on things that are really not essential. Politics, mask, no mask, go down the line. And you guys know it because like Clint said a few weeks ago, I know where you stand because I read your Facebook, right? So you're very clear. Grandkids and cat videos on Facebook, just a advice, right? But, but that's, that tension is so strong in the church right now. And if we would say, okay, look, we can have differing opinions, but if I'm gonna work on, I'm gonna walk with God, I'm gonna love you. We can't even define, we can't even des- decide on what loving each other. Everyone has a definition of, well, if you really love someone, then this. You, you don't get to decide that, by the way. Scripture does. So you can't say, well, if you love people, then you would X and fill in the blank, and then, well, and then we get mad that you're not loving the way I say. No, if we would, let's walk in fellowship with the Son of God, and then we will walk in fellowship with one another. And the other stuff may not be easy, but at least it's secondary. That's what he says my desire is. That's my heart, right? I think it's a time of message for a church. And he says my heart is also joy, and this brings me joy, when my children are walking in light, it brings me joy. When my children are delighting in God, it brings me joy. Just like you, if you're a parent. If you hear your kids in the other room fighting over who gets the last bowl of Captain Crunch, does that bring you joy? No. That brings you angst. Right? But when your children are, are unified and loving, yesterday, my, it just blessed my soul. I sound so cheesy, but I was just like so encouraged. My daughter Venmoed me money, which for the is very impressive, right? Because that's usually going the out the other way. But she Venmoed me money because her brother had his 15th birthday yesterday and she just went off to college last week and she wanted, we got in an aquarium and he got, she wanted him to get a fish. So she sent him money for a fish. Man, that's little, but that blessed my soul because she's thinking about her brother even though she's off at school. That's John, loving the family thinking about the family. That's where we're going. That's what it's gonna look like. That's the real deal. That's why he's gonna use language. Walk in the light, walk in love, walk in life. You're gonna see this constantly. Light, love, light, love, light, love. That's the real deal, right? So that's, that's where we're headed the next couple of weeks. That's what this book is to accomplish. So we've seen John the man, his passion redirected towards loving people, towards love in Jesus' church. We've seen John's experience. He experienced the man who is eternal life, saw him, touched him, knew him, and his heart is for us now to walk in joy. We need some joy in the church, y'all. We got a culture that's miserable right now. We need to, the church needs to be the joy of this world because there ain't much out there. That's where he wants us, joy and love and fellowship. That's where we're hopefully gonna see God do in this place over these next three months. Let me pray. Why don't you guys stand with me and we'll sing. Father, I thank you for John and his uh, just straightforward nature, 
as he encourages us and as he points us towards you. I pray that this book would just have a lasting impact on our church, that we will be a church that's known for light, love, life, um, that we may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent, that we would know that we have eternal life. He who has a son has the life. Um, just, just pray you'll use it as your next few months. Guard our church from arrogance, from disunity, from uh, saying we love our brother, but really not. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.